Mariana Frostrop will talk to the novelist DJ Taylor about his fascination with 1930s slang. Open book in 15 minutes. Before that, here on Radio 4, Mike Parker continues his journey through the world of map-making. Over the past days, he's explored the role of maps in navigation. Today, he discovers that maps have a usefulness that goes far beyond route-finding. So, Chris, tell me what we're looking at here. Well, we're looking at Joseph Adshead's map of the uh, centre of Manchester. It's a land use map from 1850. It's enormous, isn't it? It's huge, that's right. And we're on one of the central sheets at the moment. On uh, The building we're outside isn't on it, because it wasn't built in 1850, but uh, it shows all the different land uses in the centre of town. At first glance, even a committed map addict like me might struggle to get excited about a 150-year-old map of land use in Manchester city centre. But as I stand on those same streets poring over Joseph Adshead's map with Chris Perkins, Manchester University's map curator, I can see that this is actually a map about people, about how they lived their lives and what they did with their spare time and their earnings. Well, we're actually where we are now, the Rylands Library, the John Rylands Library. Yeah, yeah. There's two pubs here on this map. Yep. I'll, well, turn, I'll turn it round a bit so we can see it. York, York, the York Minster and the Soldiers' Rest, both of which... Uh, were presumably demolished by 1890s when Rylands was built. You could do quite a good pub call around here in 1850 because within, within about 20 yards you've got, you know, within 100 yards you've got the Clydesdale, you've got the Cheshire Cheese, you've got the Sawyer's Arms, the Pack Horse. Mapping pubs in cities was quite a Victorian thing. I mean, he didn't do it as a, as a sort of temperance thing or anything. Uh, well, but I think he probably did. I suspect he probably did because he was involved in the local authority, he was involved with the Board of Health. He probably did see the demon drink as an evil. Ah, right. I suspect. So that might have been one of the motivations for... I think it's probably the motivation for hand-colouring the pubs in pink. Yes. Because they do yes. stand out. So right. you can't really see why. You know, he hasn't... What other interests would he have had? No, absolutely. Oh, no, that's interesting. The thematic map, one that mapped people, was a popular tool of the 19th century. So the Victorian powerhouse of Manchester was the perfect city in which to apply these maps with a message. Disease housing conditions and, of course, the demon drink were all grist to the mill for the ardent social cartographer. What is the remedy? The evil is palpable. Yeah. Black. And monstrous. monstrous. How, is it? How is it to be removed? Mm. By giving the people the power to protect themselves against the liquor traffic. <laughs> Wonderful. Inside the John Rylands Library, Chris Perkins has curated an exhibition about the many different ways that Manchester has been mapped over the last 200 years, from the earliest large-scale survey to a contemporary digital 3D virtual city. But one of the most extraordinary items is a good old tub-thumping Victorian tract. This is a political tract, an argument against the demon drink. It's the drink map of Manchester and there's a, a rash of dots all over it and every one of those dots is somewhere where you can procure alcohol in one form or another. And there's a lot of dots. A lot of dots. Sweet alcohol, uh, beer, licensed victuallers, beer with wine. Huge number of dots. So you're calling it a tract. I mean, yes, we've got this... Um it says things like, the evil is palpable, black and monstrous. And that's the, the, the demon drink. So what was it campaigning for, then? The it closure was, of these it places? was campaigning for closure of those places, for, um, for regulation of, of alcohol sales, um, put out by the United Kingdom Alliance, Grosvenor Chambers in Deansgate. So actually, not a million miles away from where we're looking at it now. 
And it's a, it's, it is a trap. It really is. The dots are there. They must be there. The demon drink is evil. That's where the poor people live. And the poor people are poor because they're consuming too much alcohol. So this, this tract is calling for, you know, radical action, really, against the pubs and, and off-licenses. And, and it's, gosh, the language it uses is marvellous, isn't it? The foul blotches of drink that now disfigure the map will be removed. And increased health, order and comfort will show how much opposed to the interests of the public are the trade interests of the publican. Mm. Absolutely. It didn't quite happen like that, did it, it really? It didn't really happen like that. There's too much money to be made from drink. It's only a five-minute walk from the John Rylands Library, which is currently home to Chris's Mapping Manchester exhibition, to where I'm standing now, the rather impressive lobby of Manchester Town Hall. The Victorian city fathers who created this amazing Gothic edifice would probably have been horrified that well over a century after the thundering tract of the drink map was published, there's still the need to map Manchester's public drunkenness. The City Council produces a binge drinking map and many others for its annual State of the City report to give a clearer picture of life in Manchester. Maps of everything from crime and social deprivation to community cohesion and satisfaction with life. I've come to meet Sarah Henry, the Council's Head of Research and Intelligence, and her Head Analyst, Linda Frost. So this is uh, this, this map that we're looking at here, where you've got, you know, hot spots of, what is it? Oh, cocaine and opiate use. So this is people being caught with, with yes, it's a Class A drugs, yeah. And you have got, there are some real hot spots, aren't there? North of the city. Yeah, seems to be quite a strong, strong area on that score. So what happens to this information? Where does it go? Uh, this has been used to uh, identify where the, the, the greatest use of the particular drugs are and they'll be sent on to the crime and disorder team so they can identify where to target the resources and trying to combat some of the effects of the use of these drugs. Hmm. And the data is collected from what police cautions yes. and police, police dealings, right? Yes, it's very strong, isn't it? I mean, what, what do you, as, a, as, as somebody in the whole kind of planning and, and, and strategic thinking side of a council, what do you get out of using maps? Maps are obviously very visual and it helps us present a lot of information, a lot of different pieces of data in a way that people can really relate to and understand. Even people who say that they can't use maps to follow directions still can look at a visual map and, and see the story that, uh, uh, that the statistics tell. We work in an environment where uh, the written word is very important. We have reels and reels of paper, lots of reports, but I always find that when you present something in pictures whether it's a chart, whether it's a graph, whether it's a map, people really engage with that and it helps uh, our decision makers understand better what it is they're trying to achieve I'll give you a good example, we had um, school closures started uh, on the first day of the heavy snow um, and then on the next day we expected more schools to be open and I think the council was a little bit frustrated that many weren't so we very quickly, it took less than an hour mapped out for the leader of the council the open schools and the closed schools and he could see the evidence that an open school was situated next to a closed school and was able to say you know, why is this the, the issue? You know, what do we need to do to help all schools open? That took less than an hour. It would have taken weeks in, uh, in, in the time of these uh, old maps. So, Chris, just talk me through what we're looking at here. 
Well, we're looking at Thomas Maher's map of um, land use, housing conditions in Manchester, just turn of the century. So it's, it's uh, 1904, and it shows in colour on top of a street map base um, the kind of housing across the city, basically. The black areas are uh, back-to-backs, the dark brown are slums, and then it gets progressively lighter as suburbia impinges as you move out. So suburbia isn't a problem, it's nice, a tasteful yellow, whereas the, the brown, chocolatey and black tones are the areas where there's most poverty and where housing conditions are worst. So why would these maps of these housing conditions, what were they produced for? Well, they were produced because the middle classes were worried about um, poverty in the city and the impact of poverty in the city. So Ma was the chairman of the housing committee on, on the city council, and it was an investigation into the state of housing in the city. Um, and it's partly political and it's partly on the grounds of sanitary reform that they wanted to actually make lives better. There were 200,000 very poor people in the city of Manchester at the turn of the century and that wasn't necessarily a good thing and they needed a map to find out where they were in the same way that multiple deprivation mapping does the same thing nowadays. Of course, if Thomas Marr was working today, he'd have far more powerful tools at his disposal to show the world the link between housing conditions and poverty. He'd surely be into mashups, a fast-growing way of using the internet to take one piece of data and combine it with another. Take a map of, say, housing. Overlay it with another map of crime or drug use or, or social attitudes. And suddenly you have a way of making connections that are clear and powerful. Mashups are the bedrock of MapTube, a website created by a team from the Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis at University College London. So this is population density for England, Scotland and Wales. Yeah, yeah this is people per, people per hectare, I think it per is. Per hectare. And you see what I mean about instantly? I mean, it's like those maps that you see from the sky. Yeah, yeah, you, the you night see, time. You see the light pollution. Yes. Yeah. Richard Milton is the programmer at the centre who created the software for MapTube. When you zoom in on the population density maps, if you see it at a very fine resolution, you can flip it to the satellite view and you can see big tower blocks and you can see built-up areas where there's very dense population, just simply because it's built upwards. Mm. And, you know, a lot of that gets missed in some of the analysis that you do that's not geographically linked. The aim is to get as many maps out there as we can. MapTube is the brainchild of social scientist Dr Andrew Hudson-Smith. Everything's becoming location-based nowadays. So we can ask people whatever we like, recession map, for example. And if we just ask for the last bit of their postcode, it means we can map it. And we can map it over time, too. So we're calling them mood maps. So you can have a map where the nation's mood suddenly shifts according to time. And the survey tool will allow anyone to ask anyone whatever they want. So you can survey the world. We, we, we want to find where, where the world's happiest nation is. So we just put questions online and, and ask them where, where they live. From your local neighbourhood point of view, you can ask your neighbourhood whatever you want, whether, they, whether you feel safe here. And you just ask them the first bit of their postcode. And then we have a system in place which automatically knows where your postcode is and maps it back in. This seems to be the theme that's coming through loud and clear in almost every conversation that I'm having mm. is about the what you might call the democratisation of cartography. Yeah. In as much as it was, a, it was quite a sort of 
top-down paternalistic trade, really, yeah, in, in not so very long ago, and, and that's mm. been turned on its head. Yeah. Not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. When we write about it from an academic point of view, we always say it's fantastic, you know. People are putting their own data online, all these data sets which, which are crowdsourced. But from a quality point of, of, of view, perhaps, perhaps it's taken quite a hit. So the audience survey, quality extremely high, but hard to get hold of. Crowdsourcing, easy to get hold of, but very low, low, low usage, perhaps. Numbers are high, use of it, questionable. I wouldn't trust it. And there's the rub. MapTube does give you powerful and very direct means of looking at people's lives and attitudes. But the truth is that all maps are subjective, even loaded. We trust them at our peril. What does a map give a social campaign? Um, it gives it impact. People believe a map, so if you can see it and it's on the map, it must be so. They've always done that. It's, it's, they're, they're very powerful. Yes. There is something about that, isn't there? The, the idea that there is a truth yes. in a map. Why, why, why do newscasters have maps behind them? Exactly the same reason, because you're more likely to believe it. If it's on the map, it must be there. Yes. It's, uh, they're icons of fact. They, the world is out there. Think about how language use maps, you know, being on the map. Yes, all the language we use, right, that's true, yes. yeah. And yet, of course, maps can and do tell poor kids left, of right and centre. Of course, they always have done, they always will do. That's how they work. They're, they're strongly persuasive, and their persuasion lies in the fact that they pretend they're not actually persuasive. They pretend to be factual, and they're not necessarily factual at all. They're incredibly political. And just how political they are, I'll be finding out tomorrow as I explore the murky world of maps as tools of power and propaganda. On the Map was presented by Mike Parker. The series was produced in Wales by Jeremy Grange.